Mary Joseph and little baby Jesus. He's only 40 days old, so an infant. Um, you know, they'd be posting photos on Instagram with like the one-month-old sticker and all that nonsense. Um, so little baby Jesus. And as customary in their time and in the Judaic tradition, they were to go and offer a sacrifice, uh, two turtle, turtle doves and a pigeon, or, oh, yes, and, and also to dedicate their firstborn son at the temple to the Lord. So they're on their way, and they're arriving at the temple, and they come across this elderly chap. Yes, I use the word chap. So this is how the story goes. <laughs> You're getting on me. All right. On the day of the... No. Verse 23, and I believe it should be up there as well, so you can follow along. As they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was there waiting, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God who kept himself pure, and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. For this reason, the Holy Spirit had moved him to be in the temple court at that very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. Simeon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied, saying, Lord and Master, I'm your loving servant, and now I can die content. For your promise to me has been fulfilled. With my own eyes, I have seen your manifestation. The Savior you sent into the world, he will be glory for your people Israel and the revelation light for all people everywhere. Mary and Joseph stood there awestruck over what was being said about their baby. Simeon then blessed them and prophesied over Mary saying, a painful sword will one day pierce your inner being for your child will be rejected by many in Israel. And the destiny of your child is this, he will be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their hearts before God. A prophetess named Anna was also in the temple court that day. She was from the Jewish tribe of Asher and the daughter of Phanuel. Anna was an aged widow who had been married only seven years before her husband passed away. <laughs> Told you I'm reading a story, so... After he died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually. For the past 84 years, she had been serving God with night and day prayer and fasting. I guess that'll be us next month. While Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with a great chorus of praise to God for the child. And from that day forward, she told everyone in Jerusalem who was waiting for their redemption that the anticipated Messiah had come. Good story, eh? Those are the words of God. It's perfect, it's beautiful, and it's true. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your son who was the manifestation of your word. Uh, Lord, we believe that you want to speak to us something fresh today, God, and um, not just from this story, but from your word, from other scriptures as well, God. We want your voice to be heard above all others, Lord. We want your presence to be felt above all other presences. If we're coming in here weary and burdened and heavy laden, we'd find rest in you today, Jesus. We'd find our trust, our faith, our hope in you. So have your way this morning, God. Amen. Amen. 
So happy Advent season, everybody. Woo! Only 15 days until Christmas. Is that a relief? <laughs> or is that devastating news because you have so much more shopping to do? Um, it can be a stressful season, unfortunately, but it can also be a really exciting season because it's leading up to the birth of Christ, right? We're celebrating this. So Advent is all about a season of anticipation. It's the lead up to Christmas. And this year, I believe it's from the 3rd to the 24th. So we're right strack dab in the middle of it. Um, this is our first Christmas here, Anna and myself, and that's exciting. Um, we just got our tree on Friday, a little late to the party, I guess, but we got our tree. Uh, Ferguson, is that the name you gave it, Anna? Yeah, so little Ferguson. It's, it's a little pathetic, but it's, it's adorable, and we love it, little Ferguson. Um, but I do, I do say that, London, you guys do it right. Okay, the city is resplendent in all the lights, the trees, the fixtures, the mulled wine, the, the singing, the, all the hospitality. I love it. Okay, you guys do it right. Uh, so you can really sense that the season is in full bloom and it's in the air and there's this expectancy that Christmas is just on the horizon and that means you get holiday days off. Woo! How great is that? Um, I guess you could say we're also in an Advent season as a church as we're leading up to the launch of our House of Prayer next month. Are you guys enthusiastic about that? Yeah. I think that's quite significant. Um, I believe it's a big deal for us as a church, um, but also for us individually because I really believe that God wants to do something um, prophetic and, and just pivotal through this House of Prayer. That's kick-starting. It's going to continue. Um, so we have been addressing this broad topic of prayer because it is something that is very large. And so we've been talking on it, we've been teaching on it, and, and we want to make it really accessible that prayer is something for every person. It's not just something for the person in the pulpit or whatnot, but it's something for every person God made available for us. And um, just looking back at the story that we just read, talking about a season of anticipation, right, we see this scene played out of complete jubilation, um, if you were able to focus at all and read along with me. But you just see the scene where Simeon and, and Anna, who are two really old people, are singing and dancing. Okay, it takes a lot for old people with old bones to get up and sing and dance. But this is how excited they were. Uh, and, and you have to imagine why. And it's not only because God was fulfilling a promise to them, but he was fulfilling a promise that he had made a very long time ago, even in the Garden of Eden. Um, but we have to look at the, the context and the time period. I mean, this was Roman-occupied Israel. And for hundreds of years, the people had been subjugated and oppressed by foreign rulers. So they were crying out for hundreds of years, God, send the Messiah. We need liberation. We need freedom from these oppressors, these ungodly heathens. <laughs> That's really what they were praying, though. And so they were crying out. So to see that Jesus was here, even though he was just a baby, this was so magnificent. The magnitude, the weight that this little baby carried. All these prayers for hundreds of years, millions of prayers released to the Lord in eagerness and expectation. Send the Messiah. He was the response. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because he is the response to all those prayers for all time with skin on his bones. See, Jesus is a prayer to us. He's been sent by the Father. 
He is our redeemer. He is the anticipated one that all of history has been waiting for. Um, but of course, you know, what does this mean for us? Because that was a different era. So the way that they were crying out and they were expecting and living a life of expectation, and that's, if you haven't realized already, that's what I'm speaking on today, is expectation in our prayer life. And, and what does that look like today? Because it looked very different in Old Testament times. The way they prayed to God, the way they approached God, it was very different. But now because of Jesus, because of this watershed moment in history where he made a way, where he tore the veil with his body and his sacrifice by coming into the world and laying down his life on the cross, we have a whole, totally different relationship with the Godhead that he introduces us to. And so throughout the scripture, throughout the passages that the disciples are following Jesus, he's teaching us how to approach God and, and how we are to pray. A few weeks ago, Steve taught on, on prayer as well and how one of the only times recorded in scripture that the disciples outrightly asked Jesus, teach us, is in regards to prayer. So I think that's really something important. So anytime that Jesus is talking about prayer in the scriptures, I have to imagine that it's got to be playing off of that same lesson. He's teaching them, this is how we are to approach God and how to approach prayer. Um, looking at Mark eleven twenty four should come up on the screen. Beautiful. Doing a great job, Sophie. Um, let's read it together. But this is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Um, sounds easier, right? I don't think so. This is one of those passages that if you just look over it again, um, this is the reason I urge you to boldly believe and then believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's, that's, that's a lot of faith. It's a little scary. Um, I think this is one of those passages that any kind of cynicism that we have, it can easily just kind of bring it out, bring it to the surface. Even reading that together, it's like, I don't know about that. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> a few of you are like, yeah, that's nice. That was nice, Jesus, but I don't know about that. Um, but I think that this passage has really been butchered and it has, has a lot of baggage attached to it, not only from our experiences sometimes, maybe our immaturity and how we've approached prayer, but in a lot of movements that have been out there. And there's the Word of Faith movement who, who just used a model, taking the scripture and almost making the scripture like God. And, and we can do that. We can follow a model or mo have more faith in the action itself, or if we just drum up enough faith, then this will happen. And I believe why Jesus, what he's doing in this passage, what he's pointing us to, what he's leading us to, is into relationship with him and understanding that, yeah, believe it because you know me. If you believe in me, if you know me, then you're going to boldly ask for things and expect it to happen. Like, don't half-heartedly come into this relationship with me. That's, that's not a true relationship. You're not trusting me. And, and if you don't trust me, how can I truly give something to you? How can I gift you? And so Jesus, he's drawing us into relationship. That's where expectation starts from. It starts from a place of, of nearness. And Jesus made a way so that we could be near to God. That's, 
his, his greatest desire, the plan was also that you would know God, that you would be close, that we would be close with God. And we, we need, need to look no further than Jesus' relationship with the Father. Anytime Jesus needed anything, the Father gave it to him. He supplied it. The guy didn't even have a house, but he was always fed, right? He was always going to parties. He always knew the best people. Anytime someone needed a miracle, hey, call Jesus, right? Anything that he needed, the Father gave him. And Jesus is introducing us into the same covenant relationship with the Father. That's amazing. That's amazing. So no matter what our cynicism tells us, let us not undermine this passage. Let's not smear it with our cynicism or our fear and, uh, and our trust issues. <laughs> and we all know that we have them. I certainly do. Um, and just being completely honest with you guys, I've, I've prayed for people that I care about, and, and they've died. I've prayed for loved ones, uh, family and, and friends, and they've, they've passed away. And, and part of the mystery and part of this trust is releasing the why to Jesus. Um, we don't always know why, and I think the beauty in our relationship with, with him is that we don't have to know why because we can trust him because he's good. And, um, and certainly there are things and there's times where we are the ones that reject the blessings of God, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, we could have things like unbelief or fear or unforgiveness that actually block the blessings that God wants to bring into our lives. We could easily just push them away. Uh, last December, I went on a trip to, to Brazil with Randy Clark's ministries and called Global Awakening. And there was this lady that, that, that came up to me at the end of the night. And she asked me if I would pray over her. And right away, the Lord just gave me a, a word of knowledge. And what that means is he just gave me insight into what was going on. And, and so she had abdominal pain in this area. So I was either thinking, hmm, maybe it's appendix or, but the Lord just told me it was a hernia, that she had picked up something that was too heavy, and she had, she had hurt herself. And so, so I just asked her, because um, she just said she was in pain. So I asked her, did you pick something up that was too heavy and hurt yourself? She said, yes, at work, about 10 days ago. And I was like, all right. I was like, well, let's pray over you. So we prayed. The pain went down a little bit. I was like, I just had this hunch that she was kind of annoyed at herself. You ever do something like stub your finger and you just, you're like, you're so stupid. You know, you just get annoyed at yourself. I just felt like she was angry with herself and there was this label of stupidity that was hanging over her. So I walked her through just some renouncing and, and afterwards she just jumped up, said, I'm healed. And all the pain was, was gone and the hernia was, was all good. Um, so there's times where things are stopping what God wants to bring, and he does want to give us insight into what those are. But again, it's out of a relationship, right? It's out of nearness, out of knowing him, because he wants to fellowship. He wants to talk with us. He wants to, to show us that, yes, I do want to heal, and I do want to provide for you. Um, another thing that Jesus, is, Jesus promises in his word is that he promises to respond so he teaches us how to pray with expectancy, but now he's promising us that actually he's going to respond. And this is in John 14, verses 12 through 14. I tell you this timeless truth, 
The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my Father. First off, what? That's crazy. For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. And that is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name, and I will do it for you. He sounds like a smitten lover, doesn't he? Like, please, just ask me anything, and I'll do it for you. It's like, all right, Jesus. Again, this is an amazing word, but the application is a bit difficult. Um, just because it sounds almost too good to be true. And we just have a problem putting too, too many eggs in one basket, don't we, as people? We like to reserve things. and um, It just takes vulnerability to actually be in a place where we're asking Jesus for anything, right? to trust somebody. It takes a lot of vulnerability. But then also to be expectant, like, oh, yeah, obviously he's going to answer. He's going to respond. That takes the next level. It's one thing to be like hedging your bets, like, yeah, Jesus, it would be great if you could answer this. But this, with this phrase, what this passage is telling us is that, no, put all your eggs in that basket and just believe that, yeah, he's got this. He wants to do this. Actually, yeah, he's, he's like, please, give me something to do here. Um, sorry, just lost my place. Now, going back to the vulnerability bit, we've all experienced disappointment and rejection in our life. So it's, very, it's, just, it's just normal to have a hard time with passage, passages like this. It's just normal. It's okay to struggle with this reality that Jesus actually wants to respond to our prayers and for us to be specific in the way that we pray, to ask him, Jesus, I, I need this. I need, I need help here. I need freedom here. I need deliverance there. I need provision here. And he promises in his word, because his word is true, isn't it? His word is true. We can't, we can't afford to undermine the word of God and replace it for what we've experienced in our life through a lens of disappointment or cynicism because it just corrupts the word of God and then what's left, what's left. But his word is true and it's perfect and it's a promise he's making to us as a lover, as our brother, as a provider. Um, there's a story that a friend of mine that I'm close with uh, share with me. She's from Nigeria. She grew up there. And for quite some time, she was an evangelist, and she would reach unreached people groups, so go to tribes that no one has ever been to before with the gospel. And there was this particular time where she traveled up into the mountains and visited this tribe that no one had ever been to before with the gospel. And so she was sharing about Jesus, and the witch doctor happened to die. So then the people said, okay, they, they bring her and her a little posse, into the tent and said, if you don't resurrect her, if you and your Jesus don't resurrect her, we're going to kill you. <laughs> Talk about high stakes. So <laughs> they shut them in, had a guard at the door, and for hours they cried out to God to resurrect this lady <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. And, um, and finally the lady sneezed a couple times and came back to life. And 
So needless to say, the entire village got saved. The witch doctor then was baptized, and, uh, and they left. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Maybe sometimes the stakes aren't high enough and we're not crying out enough, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I love that story because it just shows that, that he's a man of his word, and he provides a way out. He always makes a way. And how glorious was it? He proved himself in that, in that, in that matter. But they could have given up, I'm sure. But they kept going because they're like, Jesus, you're our only hope. You're the only answer in this situation. And because of that, an entire village was saved. It's amazing. Jesus not only promises to respond to our prayers, but he's also praying for us. How great is that? That should show up on the screen as well. Um, In Romans 8.34, this is what Paul writes. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted and throned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? It's a good word. So let's, let's just allow that reality to sink in for a moment. Jesus, right now, is literally praying for you. He's praying on your behalf. How does that make you feel? Give yourself a second. Jesus is praying for you. Does it make you feel supported? Does it make you feel loved? Does it make you feel remembered? Not alone, covered? What does it make you feel? For me, and maybe for you too, but for me, one, it takes off the pressure that I'm the only source of mediation for others. Because if he's praying for me, that means he's also praying for them. It means he's praying for everyone. Number two, it strengthens my resolve because I know he's contending for me. Jesus is in my corner. He's rooting for me. Number three, that means I can come into agreement in my prayers with what he's already praying. We don't have to just formulate something or develop something from thin air. Jesus is already praying for us. And we get to come into a collaborative effort and praying together. That's so cool. That is so cool. (laughs) Knowing that Jesus has our back radically affects how we see things. It does. Because so many lies, like we were talking about rejection before, says that he wants nothing to do with us or that we failed, or that we haven't prayed enough. How many hear that one? Oh, you should have been praying more. Oh, you didn't have enough faith for that. The accuser, he comes. But Jesus has our back. And it says that he's continually praying for our triumph. I like that word. It's a strong word, our triumph. He's praying that we would be victorious. Yes. You know, if you need to get pumped up, you just read that, that version in the Passion, and it's like, yes. He's praying for my triumph. He's for me. And if you look back in that passage as well, to the previous verses, it talks about that the Father, he didn't hold back sending you his best. That Jesus was his best to offer. He's the best thing that we could ever ask for or receive. So why would he hold back from anything else? It's a good question. Anything lesser than Jesus 
is so insignificant, first off. But why would he deprive us of that? If he's already given his best, he's set the bar pretty high. (laughs) It's not like he's going to be like, eh, sorry. I know that you're sick this week, but yeah, I'm just busy. Got things to do. (laughs) No, he's like, I sent you Jesus. Of course I would take this sickness off of you. He's a good God. All of these things play into a lifestyle and an attitude of expectancy and how we relate with God. When we know that he's for us, we know that he's praying for us already, when we know that he's making these promises, like ask anything and I'll do it for you, when he's telling us, hey, be bold, pray bold prayers and it'll happen. He's trying to set us up for success. He's giving us these principles. But again, our hope, our trust is not in the principles alone. Our trust is in the one who set the principles. Our trust is in Jesus. And our trust is in the relationship he has with the Father because now that's our relationship and it's for us. He's given us his spirit for crying out loud. There's nothing greater. So going back to our our story that we started with, with Simeon and Anna. Again, we see that atmosphere that's charged with anticipation. And we see what happens when that anticipation is met with the word of God. There's a response. Jesus was that response. And now we're in this time where we get to live out a life of anticipation because he's always responding. We've already been given Jesus. And yes, we are waiting for his return. But today, how does he want to respond? What does he want to do today in our life? What breakthrough do we need now? Because he wants at it. That's his role. He wants at it. He's hungry for breakthrough in your life. He's hungry for what you have the problems, the situations, the issues, he's hungry for it. Let me add it. Let me tackle it. Let me take this down. And he's hungry to partner with us and to to come into agreement in our prayer life with him, to pray big things over our city. This is what we're doing with the House of Prayer, to pray big things, not just in Balaam, for London and for the world. God is crying out, who will be like my son Jesus that will pray big prayers? Who will come into agreement with my son Jesus and pray big things and believe that it's my joy to bless you with those things? As I'm I'm wrapping up, I wanted to, to speak one more passage over us, and I don't have it on the screen, but this is Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. Again, I give you an internal truth If two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, my heavenly Father will do it for you. For wherever two or three come together in honor of my name, I am right there with them. Wow, what a reminder of truth. Jesus is here right now in our midst. That, again, when that reality hits, it shifts the way we see reality. We, it shifts the way we, inc- we come into contact and interact with God. If we know that he's right in front of us and we know the kind of person that he is, why would he spare anything? 
And he's, and he's saying, would, would two of you just come into agreement and watch what's about to happen? This is part of the reason why we invite you guys. We invite people at the end of service, and it's for me too. Honestly, I get prayer. But that's why we, in, there's an invitation to come up. It's so that you'll come into agreement with somebody else that's on your team, that's fighting for you. We're praying together, and we're believing that Jesus is right there, and he's about to do something. That's why we invite, and that's why there's always someone to show up and pray with you because we believe in expectancy that God is about to do something profoundly powerful and beautiful, and he never lets us down. So in in closing, I want to give us a chance today to respond to that. Um, I want to invite worship team for you guys to, to come up. What in your life right now, because we all have something, but what in your life right now do you need breakthrough? Do you need God to come through on? Is it a mountain of debt in your life? Is it your job is just, just killing you and you need him to do something there? Is it that you need a job? Is it that you're extremely lonely And God is just asking you to trust him with your relationships and your future. Is it that you need healing, that you have sickness in your body? What is going on? Where do you need God to come through? Where do we need to be expecting him to prevail and to come through? What is that today? Thinking even back to the passage, the prophecies that were spoken and the things promised to Simeon that he would see the Christ before he died. What are the promises? What are the prophecies that God has spoken over your lives and that you're waiting for the verdict? You're waiting for it to be fulfilled. Maybe today God wants to encourage you again with those prophetic prophetic words. So I want to invite anybody to come up during this time of worship to receive prayer. Lord, we just we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you're an expectant God. We're thankful that you set the bar. We're thankful that you come through in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our turbulence and our storm, and you are steadfast, and you are faithful, and your promises are yes and amen. All of your promises are for us, O oh God. We could trust you. God, relight the trust within our heart today for you. Where we're struggling with fear, disappointment, discouragement, rejection, would you deal with those things in our hearts? Would you draw us back with your loving kindness? May we encounter you in all that you are today, in all that you are in love. In Jesus' name.